episode of today's lesson a nick cave podcast i'm andrew and i'm sean we're still here one album down and one one more to go i think i think there's a lot more oh fuck that's right no there's a ton of albums to go god damn it well here we are we're back we still got our high-paying jobs as professional podcasters for a little while longer (laughs) that's right that's right um god it's been paying the bills it's been really nice uh you're right though we are we are starting the second album which we'll get into in a in a moment but uh for now how how are you doing i'm doing good it's um it's a rainy day it's a rainy portland day and it's coming on the heels of some pretty hot portland days it's coming right before some hot portland days so god it's a nice reprieve just walking around and and soaking it in and i'm lucky that it's not too stormy uh because we'll we'll get into the foibles of that kind of weather here pretty soon how are you andrew <laughs> we sure will uh i'm good this is definitely my kind of weather um looking forward to some heat but man we really need this this rain up in the northwest yeah but it's it's fitting weather for what we're gonna be talking about that's right sean the firstborn is dead no really it's true it happened oh that's tragic but we got an album out of it it sounds like we did we've got one album out of it um this album came out uh the year after the debut album uh from her to eternity it is less of an ensemble affair you know you had a lot of um contributors on the first album uh, you had your, uh, you know, your Anita Lanes, um, your J.G. Thirlwells, and and the like. <laughs> this album has a a solidified, tight knit group of four. Um, we got Nick Cave, you got Mick Harvey, you got Blix Abargeld, you got you know, three of the, the three most I would say important members of the the group. Um, and they uh, made the addition of Barry Adamson. Um, he was a member of Television, a great punk band. He'd contributed to some birthday party stuff. In fact, he he wasn't a long-standing member um, from this point, but he did actually uh, rejoin the band on the Push the Sky Away uh, album, playing a couple tracks on bass. Um, and he filled in on drums and keyboards, uh, when Thomas Wiebler fell ill during the Push the Skyway tour. So actually, when we saw them on that tour, he was uh, behind oh, the kit. Right on. Yeah, I knew that we had seen him, but I couldn't uh, couldn't have told you when. I'm terrible with those names. Yeah, he's he's great. He's an interesting um, interview. He, he's an interesting foil to someone like Blixa, who is right you know, sort of an enigma. Um, but yeah, he, he's a multi-instrumentalist, um, you know, much like Mick Harvey, so... On this album, Barry, uh, Mick, and Blix are all kind of flexing their talents. Uh, you know, not to, to get too deep into it, but uh, Mick and Barry are credited for drums uh, and organ. Mick and Blix are both credited for guitar and piano. You got all three on backing vocals. You got Barry on bass. And then Nick Cave throws some harmonica in there. Um, so, you know, it's just really an interesting shift from the first album yeah shift to the classic lineup i mean those are the names when i think of the bad seeds those are the names that come to mind um yeah there's a there's a few classic lineups throughout their career i would say this is the first um that's really strong 
the band moved to Berlin uh, to record this instead of London. Um, they found certain elements of London distasteful, uh, including how they were viewed. Um, so this Berlin was uh, their base of operations. Same producer as uh, the first album, uh, Flood, but a pretty different sound uh, despite that. Yeah, very. It's um, it's an interesting shift. It's it's far bluesier. It's more straight ahead. It's less shrieking and uh, far less grim. I would say across the board, uh, it's 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 quite the shift. And I actually I really like the title. The title has I think multiple references um, baked in. But the firstborn being dead always struck me as you know the, that album's dead. The first <laughs> one's gone, and and we're moving on. We're we're now in this phase and. Yeah, it's an exploratory phase, for sure. With this lineup, it uh, like you said, it's a lot to flex, and and they are. Yeah, it's um, that's a great point about the album title. I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me, but yeah, just uh, this album's right off the heels of that first one, and they're already moving on. I don't know that this is the most transitional album we'll see, uh, including albums that are very, you know, hot on the heels of this one. But you know, it is a shift. It's more. I mean, I guess I would say it's less experimental than the first album because they were really trying a lot of things, but this is really them really going for a certain style. And yeah, it's 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 blues. It's steeped in references to the blues, uh, you know, the yeah. country of the blues and tradition, its history and its performers. Would you have guessed, let's say, you know, this album was just about to come out. Would you have guessed that Well of Misery was the song that they took from uh from her to eternity and just run with <laughs> no absolutely not and um i like that you say yeah, it's it's experimental when i think of experimental a lot of times think erratic think all over the place and this is experimental in that they're really trying to find a groove you know they're trying to find the identity of the band and no i mean well and misery is the identity of the last album i would not have said that they'd take that and and just put it all the way forward, just completely go all in on that. But they did. Uh, it's the result of an Australian singer-songwriter moving to Berlin to record an album of his own, like, <laughs> blues standards from the American South. So it's just, you know, you don't oh. hear a whole lot of that just by listening to it, but it's just kind of a weird, just a bizarre amalgam of different people and places and ideas. Yeah, and as we're about to see with a with a deep idolization of the king of rock and roll, um, without really going too far down his own style um, of country or rock or, or anything like that, it's it is a bizarre amalgamation. It's a strange set of uh, influences that he takes and runs with, and as with what we saw in the first album, makes his own. Yeah, and, and we'll get into this this sort of um, Elvis uh, idolization when we get to the song, but uh, it's prevalent in the album title. And it is an interesting parallel because like Elvis, um, Nick Cave is here in the great uh, tradition of white musicians borrowing, <laughs> let's say from black musicians. It's fitting. It's, it's very fitting. Um, <laughs> Aggressively borrowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a couple more beats on the album as a whole. You know, there's lots of space on this album. Um, they play with that a lot. There's moments of just, you know, Nick's voice, just a couple instruments going. And at the same time, it feels like the arrangements are more confident and fleshed out. Um, that's not to say the songs are better or the music is better. Like a song like Tupelo doesn't sound like it's about to fall apart at every turn. Yep like some of the others um like your mileage may vary whether you enjoy that or not that's you know it's totally subjective but i do think that they took great care to really make it sound like there is a a band playing intentionally sort of arranged music on here yeah absolutely and, and like you said it's in in many ways far sparser than the previous album mm -hmm. um but at the same time far more focused far more i don't want to restrained i'll say restrained um they've they've brought it back and they're dialing it in and they're really i think trying to find that identity um and they know that they can't do that flailing as they were and so you know it's it's even a step totally down 
um, just like the first album was from the birthday party. It's down another notch when it comes to, you know, how erratic and how all over the place they get and really trying to, like I said, dial it in and and shoot straight. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a good point. I, uh, definitely is more restrained, maybe more refined, but it, it definitely leaves that goth sort of aesthetic behind. Um, it leaves that unhinged side behind at least a little bit there there's some grim stuff in this one but um very different vibe most songs i can't remember exactly but most if not all songs um there's a heavy reliance on backing vocals much like uh well of misery it's it's not as prevalent on the song we're about to look at but i really really like the the sort of clean backing vocals uh acting as a foil to nick's sort of harsher sometimes wailing vocals yep which which again we saw like i said in um in well of misery that that chorus that comes in it's it was that um same same deal and yeah they take that and they they run with that quite a bit on this album yeah moving on to some uh generalities about uh the song we're talking about today which is tupelo uh the beginning track uh, from the album sean what was this song based off of yeah, so this is actually based on the John Lee Hooker song um, of the same name, looking at the tragedy of the Tupelo Gainesville tornado outbreak in 1936. Oh. Um, I know, a tornado outbreak, Jesus. It was it was a, a group of about 12 tornadoes that just completely destroyed Tupelo and Gainesville over the course of two days in April. And... Listening to the John Lee Hooker version, it's hard to imagine this is based off of it um, because it is as classic blues as you can get. It is about remembering Tupelo. It is about being sad. It is about the tragedy of the lives lost, and it is, you know, restrained. It is it is slow. It is one man and a guitar playing the blues, and you know Nick brings that that goth side of things that darkness to this and and starts tearing it up so it's it's from from a very restrained very classic uh blues piece by john lee hooker about the same topic but that's about where the comparison ends yeah and that's kind of fitting with the mainline album covers that we see from nick he does change things a lot as opposed to you know maybe a a b-side or a uh or a song from uh, kicking against the pricks which is his cover album he does not steal whole cloth from musicians uh when he just sort of adapts these ideas yes yeah sean tell me a little bit about tupelo and the king himself elvis presley well, for those that don't know, Tupelo is the birthplace of Elvis. You can go there today and you can take tours. You can see where he was born in a little clapboard shack, as we'll, we'll hear referenced here. But he, you know, grew up in, not squalor, but, you know, in, in poverty. His father actually built the house that they lived in uh, for the birth of he and his brother. But, um... Yeah, Tupelo was hit with these tornadoes one year after the king was born, and Elvis actually lived through this storm. And so the storm itself claimed, God, roughly 230-some lives in Tupelo. But um, his mother rocked her little one slow and uh, saved him. Yeah. um, There's also, you know, the great Mississippi flood of, I forget what year, but I think it was in the 20s. You know, it was the, the Mississippi. We have that. River coming up again, you know, mentioned in St. Huck, uh, which is yep. interesting because there are some similarities uh, musically between the song and, and St. Huck. Yeah, the album title, and and this is a lyric in the song, uh, The Firstborn is Dead, is a reference to Elvis's twin brother who died at birth. Um, yeah, not, uh, not something everybody knows, actually. I brought that up to my girlfriend. She was taken aback. She's an, actually an Elvis, an Elvis fan, and she was unaware that he had a he had a twin who did not make it, but uh, Krelvis. <laughs> it was actually it was they looked identical coming out. Just uh, Krelvis had a terrible mustache and didn't make it. <laughs> That's fucked up. Um, <laughs> no, I actually I was uh, completely unaware of that until I 
uh, heard the song and researched it uh, for the first time uh, when I was getting into Nick Cave. Um, yeah, not not common knowledge. No. This song is the only single from the album, which makes sense. There's only like seven songs. Um, the B side, which similar to the two tracks we looked at for From Her to Eternity, was on the CD version. Um, and it is called The Six Strings That Drew Blood. And I think we'll probably tackle that one uh, towards the end of this album. Worth noting, it's a birthday party cover. Interesting to see that come back in the second album. Um, and it's one of the birthday party songs. It doesn't necessarily sound like a birthday party song. So it, it kind of fits as a B-side to this, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, they had performed it um, much like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds had kind of road tested avalanche um beforehand um but yeah yeah that's a good point it's interesting that it comes up um in this second album era you want to get into some lyrics here yeah let's do it sean looky yonder looky yonder a looky yonder a big black cloud comes oh no so, <laughs> so right off the bat we sort of have this um reference to black betty a song that he would cover on you know not to get too ahead of ourselves but the next nick gave the bad seeds album which is a cover album yeah lead belly track it's actually it's a it's a medley it's um look a yonder was actually a different song which is often played with black betty oh um, interesting i think there are three songs in the in the standard recording but worth looking up it's it's really good again very standard blues and he takes it here and uh, uses it as an intro to a very, very dark thing. Um, yeah, look a yonder, look a look yonder. Big black cloud come, yeah, comes to Tupelo, comes to Tupelo. Yonder on the horizon, yonder on the horizon. So, you know, nothing, nothing to dig into really here. You know, just setting the setting the scene. Um, you know, you can see it on the horizon. Troubles a coming, and I I know we'll we'll do the music you know in a bit but this is where this is where the classic intro the classic um ominous double dump bump bubba dump bump starts and i think that that's way more interesting than what's happening lyrically right now um yeah we, we really get some songs that are more interesting musically than lyrically at times on this album and it's a nope. good time to talk about that um i would kind of draw a parallel between that baseline and the saint huck one yeah I I would as well, and um, it's it's again kind of mimicking water. It's mimicking some force of nature that is driving uh, the song along, and it's just yeah. ooh, makes my blood run cold. <laughs> it's 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 awesome, and we've we've seen this live a number of times. And when that starts, um, and the lights go down, <laughs> and they they milk that, and it's it's one of the coolest things to just start blasting. Um, well, yeah, they, they even, at least in one of the shows we saw, I think they started it with the same like thunder yep. sample and then the lights kind of did a funny lightning -y thing. Yep. Yeah. And then that kicks in and you know, something's about to happen. I didn't like this song until I saw it live very much. At least I, I was never into it until then. And, and now I, I really like it. Yeah, no, this is this is one that needs to be played loud and you know, he does such a good live performance of this. This was actually um in the Red Hand Files he talked about this being in his his own top ten Nick Cave songs. Um and it shows in the live performances there's I'll just pitch it right now, there's a great video of them doing this back in the eighties at the Paradiso in Amsterdam. Um that you know, if you go up and look at the mu music video, it's interesting. We'll we'll talk about that a bit, but this this live performance really shows you how he he takes this and just oh, he hands it up. It's, it's good stuff. <laughs> Stopped at the mighty river and sucked the damn thing dry. Oh, Tupelo, in a valley hides a town called Tupelo. You know, nothing nothing crazy here. Uh, we do kind of get this sort of idea of the, the storm having agency. You know, it, it took a pause, sucked the river dry, and kept on moving. Now, in view, we have our, our little town. Poor guys. Old Man River's having a good time, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, happy ending for Old Man River on this one. 
very he leaves very satisfied and uh town does not know what's coming <laughs> on to verse two that's right and uh distant thunder rumble distant thunder rumble rumble hungry like the beast the beast it cometh cometh down and this is where the biblical apocalyptic revelations imagery really kicks in um pretty ham-fisted but it works you know storms are coming and it's gonna hit hard and it's gonna hit fast and so i i love this turn in in verse two yeah looking at it on the page and reading it like this doesn't do it justice because it's all about the music and nick's performance you know his voice is commanding you know these words you know strike fear into me every time i crawl under my bed you know (laughs) terrifying i still can't listen to it all the way through i tried i tried um whoa 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 tupelo bound beast that cometh tupelo bound and some interesting stuff here the hen will lay no egg can't get the cock to crow the nag is spooked and crazy oh god help tupelo so here we've kind of got you know the animals can sense something's in the air um something bad's coming you know nature itself is being disrupted uh, which we'll see a little bit more of as we go. Yep. And um, this plea to God is actually one of the most direct references to the John Lee Hooker version. Um, an, a repeated phrase in that is, you know, he's saying that the people are saying, Lord, have mercy. You're the only one that we can turn to. And um, this is, I think, turned into, oh, God, help Tupelo. Nick is is pleading for that as, you know, there's nothing more that can really be done for them at this point. But um, another another callback to the to the original. Yeah. And you can say these streets are rivers. You can call these rivers streets. You can tell yourself you're dreaming, buddy, but no sleep runs this deep. No, no sleep runs this deep. And again, saying it like this does not do this justice. This is this is eerie as hell. And this is, you know, just flood imagery. This is this is the town becoming overwhelmed with waters, um, to the point that you don't know that a town is even there really. It's it's more the river itself at this point. And reading about the initial disaster it happened so fast that people would likely be (laughs) scratching their heads going what the fuck is going on right now um but you know no sleep runs this deep and uh this killed a lot of people and so you can you can you can think you're in a dream and the reality is going to hit real hard and ah, i love this line um women at their windows rain crashing on the pane writing in the frost, Tupelo shame, Tupelo shame, Tupelo shame. Andrew, what is Tupelo shame? I couldn't, I got nothing for this. So I, I for me, what this conjured for me, I, I thought, um, I thought he was saying writing, R-I-D-I-N-G this whole time, uh, like writing in a frost, like it's oh. some, something, you know, some entity moving in the frost like uh you know the beast or whatever but it it does appear to be writing w-r-i-t-i-n-g so these women are at their windows writing tupelo's shame in the frost i think is what he's trying to say yeah Um, and to me this this kind of conjured like this idea this is a stretch but you kind of have this um it's almost like a macbeth sort of reference like with the weird sisters or like a a reference to the fates perhaps you know Mm -hmm. realizing this condemnation is sort of coming down and you know it's not like they're necessarily casting anything casting a spell or whatever but it is sort of this weird like are they you know maybe if even if they're not causing this they're sort of uh this storm is willing them almost to to repent or to you know, spread this message. And that's all I could really get out of it. That's interesting. No, I I looked long and hard to see if there was some like ancient Tupelo terrible thing they did as a town. Um, and, you know, as <laughs> they, they were as bad as everyone else in the early 1900s, it looked like, but no worse. <laughs> um, that's a good place to look though. I like that. I, you know, what do they do to deserve this? Yeah, some secret of something, but I I love that 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 fate imagery where it's just you know there must have been something, and that that plays into the Christian imagery too. You know, there's there's sin, and when something like this is happening, there has to be a reason, and so even if there's no concrete shame, there's no one event, 
um, it it makes sense to me that the villagers would be suddenly compelled to repent and and write their shame on the windows as an attempt to you know <laughs> gout out a god and say please help us please stop why are you doing this to us um yeah that's that's a great point yeah it doesn't have to be anything that we know of you know we're all sinners in god's eyes i guess or whatever that <laughs> that whole shit's about that dude's super chill love him but uh yeah no there's there's just sin all about and when you when you're faced with something like this maybe the best thing to do is fall on your knees and uh write it out just say i'm ashamed of something but yeah you should get above water first (laughs) but that is a good no only god can help you (laughs) you sit tight you you say you're sorry (laughs) boy yeah yeah, verse four. This is where Nick gets really creepy, and uh, I this this is my favorite verse of the song. Um, oh, go to sleep, little children. The Sandman's on his way. Go to sleep, little children. The Sandman's on his way, but the little children know. But the little children know. Um, I think that this is you know the impression of these these women, these parents trying to protect their children, trying to usher them to sleep, to you know ride out the storm because there really is nothing they can do. Um, but the Sandman here turns from, oh, Mr. Sandman to the, the beast, the, the Sandman monster that comes and, you know, plucks children's eyes out in the European tradition. Um, it's not a good thing that the Sandman is coming because in this, the Sandman, um, I think reflects the beast that is coming down on Tupelo. When the little children know, even I, I like that reading, and that's that's definitely what I get from it as well. But even even if the Sandman weren't present here, you know the idea of these parents trying to lull their children to sleep while this is happening. You know the children can feel it; they know yep. something's wrong. Um, even if you take it at the most agnostic, just a storm kind of thing that works. Yep. But the Sandman angle is is what really uh, makes this kind of interesting. Yeah, no, just like just like the farm animals, children aren't that stupid, and so yeah, you can exactly. tell them to go to sleep, but there's <laughs> clearly something amiss. Um, yeah, they listen to the beating of their blood, which he repeats a lot, um, and we get this sort of, you know, again, not trying to jump the gun too much on the music, but you get a little heartbeat. It almost sounds wet, whatever sound effect it is. <laughs> yeah. it, it sounds like a bubbling... Um, which comes to fruition when uh, the next line is repeated an equal amount of times, the Sandman's mud, you know, just sort of a, a contrast to the, the blood thick. Yeah. And, and when he's saying mud, it, he got mud and uh, he really draws it out. And it actually sounds like he's, I don't know, to me, it all sounds like he's saying murder and he's clearly not, but I think that, perhaps that was the intent and it's just oh it's vicious it's it's vicious it's gnarly it's this is the highlight of the song for me again um if you haven't listened to it go listen to it yeah, we're not doing, doing it justice what are you doing if you haven't listened to this what are you doing this is the i'm just gonna say this is the best song we've talked about so far why are you go listen yeah um black rain come down black rain come down water water everywhere no bird can fly, no fish can swim until the king is born. Until the king is born in Tupelo. It's uh it's the water is is everywhere as they say. And yet no fish can swim. It's a perversion of nature. You know, all the animals are spooked, the kids can't sleep. You know, something something is amiss. This isn't a normal storm. This isn't a normal event. Uh reality is almost turning in on itself. Well, we go back to the earlier verse, and the tornado sucked up the whole fucking river, and so the fish are the fish are flying around the the mud, uh, the river, the dirty black rain is is spraying down on the birds. They can't swim because of the force of the wind, the the mud in the air. Uh, it's everything is amiss, everything is wrong, and yeah, it's it's that perversion. But until the king is born, and that's right that. That that kind of gets me because King's already born, but uh, no, this is this is clearly an Elvis reference. Um, 
hearkening Elvis to uh, Jesus Christ himself, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And that, that leads us really well into verse five, actually. This is this is my favorite part of the song, mostly because of the music, but um, in a clapboard shack with the roof of tin, where the rain crashed down and leaked within, a young mother frozen on a concrete floor in a bottle and a box in a cradle of straw. Just saying it, that's so good. That's such a good fucking four lines. I, I love it's, that. It's way up there for me. Stanza wise, way up there. That is that is a top tier stanza. Moving on. Saturday gives what Sunday steals, and a child is born on his brother's heels. Sunday morn, firstborn dead in a shoebox tied with a ribbon of red. So the way I'm I'm reading that first line, Saturday gives what Sunday steals. Saturday, you know, she gives birth. Sunday steals the firstborn. Um, you know, one of the ch- children that's born dies, basically. So life is given, life is taken away. And the child is buried in a shoebox tied with a ribbon of red. Um, this is actually something that he'll revisit in the novel In the Ass Saw the Angel. Uh, the main mm-hmm. character has a twin brother that dies in birth, and the, the father in that, in that book buries him in a shoebox um tied with a ribbon or tied with a shoelace i think so revisiting that but yeah it's it's back to elvis it's you know his brother died in birth um his twin brother child is born on his brother's heels elvis was actually the second born Firstborn is dead we're right back at the album title here however i i have a very biblical reading of this because this is hearkening to the story of jacob and esau and this is a direct reference, I think, on his brother's heels. Jacob literally means uh, one who grasped the heel, I think. That sounds about oh, right. interesting. In Hebrew. And that's actually a Hebrew idiom for deception and for someone who acts deceitfully. And um, it's interesting because Nick reveres Elvis to kind of paint him in this light of overtaking his brother's right, life and, and claiming the status of firstborn or even just any born um not to go too deep into it but jacob being a sow jacob tricks his his firstborn brother into giving him his birthright and you know taking all this money and goes through a whole lot of biblical nonsense but they make up in the end um but but here what we see is just elvis overtakes him right at the start and becomes the king he he you know rises to the throne and becomes the firstborn yeah uh Mama rock your little one slow. Mama rock your baby. Mama rock your little one slow. God help Tupelo. You know, more repetition. Mama rock your little one slow. The little one will walk on Tupelo. Black rain come down. And, and continue, continuing with that sort of biblical theme, you know, we kind of have this mother and her baby, you know, no father in sight. Kind of, to me, mirrors like Bethlehem. Child is born. Um yeah. You know, Elvis had a dad, but there is no dad present in the song. So kind of interesting. Um, the little one will walk on Tupelo, kind of like a walking on water, uh, potentially reference, though that's probably reading a little deep uh, into it. But some interesting uh, phrasing there. Yeah, no, I think I think it's definitely the inference that the king is walking on water, that Elvis has this, you know, Jesus uh, mirror and... I, I like the father and mother discussion there. Elvis was a mama's boy and his dad was kind of a do nothing. Um, you know, he built the house that they lived in, but beyond that, he went to jail for writing a bad check and wasn't necessarily all that present from what I, from what I've gathered. Uh, Elvis was very much, very much a mama's boy throughout. And so it makes sense in the song that it would focus on that. Also, just to, just to go back to the Jacob story, um, Jacob and DeSau the father favored Sal, the mother favored Jacob, his mother Rebecca. And so I think that that is just a parallel that Nick probably saw and, and worked in here when, when only focusing on the fact that the mother is, you know, caring for the baby throughout this storm. I like it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot, and that's, that's what's so fun about this one. You have, you know, it's very intentional by Nick. You know, you've got this comparison of, of Elvis and this comparison of, you know, Jesus or, or just biblical stuff in general. And then just the, the storm, you know, there's so many different parallel narratives at play. Um, it's really fun to pick those out, even though 
lyrically, like, it's not as wordy as I would say the majority of songs on the last album. Yeah, or even coming up on this album. Um, this is yeah. one one of the things I really noticed on this listen through, you know, the multiple listen throughs that, I, that I've done the past few weeks is just the repetition. This is, you know, of all the songs on this album, the most songy song, I guess, because he just repeats and songs often repeat and Nick doesn't often repeat. And, uh, you know, you see it throughout. Yeah. And I think as we go, you know, no spoilers or whatever, but I, I think as we go, he does find, you know, he does have those long lyrical songs, um, you know, that are packed with meaning and stuff. And I think he does also learn how to just kind of write a song that is just catchy and has, you know, maybe some good imagery, but just kind of plays with repetition. And, and you, maybe the lyrics are just kind of what sounds right. And it's more about the performance. And this is kind of bridging that gap between a song like, let's say, A Boxer Black Paul and, you know, Train Long Suffering, maybe that... Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Doesn't have a whole lot to it. But um but yeah, the king will walk on Tupelo and carry the burden of Tupelo. Um yeah, very Jesus. Very Jesus. <laughs> much Jesus. <laughs> much Jesus imagery. I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. No, and I think I think that this kind of lead up and carry the burden of Tupelo. The fact that it is Jesus imagery harkens back to the fact that Tupelo didn't necessarily do anything specifically wrong. Um, but much like the folly of man and the sin that Jesus carried, it was just everything. It was, you know, redemption through, through suffering. And, and maybe he's saying that art will, will redeem. And, you know, he's saying that Elvis has produced so much, so much greatness, so much goodness. He reveres him so much that, you know, that's almost Christ-like in the way that it's redeeming the sins of wherever he was, wherever it was he was born. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I was hesitant to posit that as an absolute thing, but that definitely is something I was thinking about when I finished the song. Like that, I I think that's an unav- unavoidable context uh, to look at this with, um, and maybe has implications for you know, like a box for Black Paul. You know, something that that Nick Cave is meditating on as he forges his new career. I think that's really good. Yeah, no, because otherwise, I mean, what's the ask? What's the, what's the point of art? And I think that many, many artists will tell you it's, it is hope, it's redemption, it's beauty, it's, it's all these things that one would look like, look for in a Christ-like figure and, and hope that, you know, someone would put out into the world to negate all of the inherent (laughs) sins of man, like I said, especially people in the early 1900s. Um, They weren't necessarily worse than anybody, but maybe this is some small way of, of making it, making it better. Maybe he's, he's taken the burden of Tupelo and, and somehow absorbing those sins and, and trying to negate it in the world. Yeah. And putting that upbringing into his performance and his art. Um, that's definitely, yeah, definitely a good point. Um, you know, one more kind of different line buried in the very ending um, amongst the repetition, you will reap just what you sow. So, you know, we have this sort of condemnation that we've talked about. Um, you know, if you want to extrapolate that to, to being about Elvis, you know, that he did have a very interesting, well-documented kind of downfall in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know that this is referring explicitly to Elvis's career. Um, it's more of just like a kind of a generic warning to people that <laughs> storms yeah. come in maybe, but um, just playing off kind of that reading uh, that you had, I wonder if there's something to that. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. It, it seems like another warning that um, you will have to pay eventually. And if you don't have a Christ-like figure to save you, maybe it won't turn out at all. Um, so, you know, two for two on albums referencing The King. I mean, In the Ghetto, obviously, not uh, an original album track, but um, yeah, there we go. Right on. That's Tupelo. We should trademark that. Um, put it on some shirts merch coming soon uh, moving on to music um starts and ends with the thunderclap and that that pouring rain sound effect um we talked about the bass line that kind of forms the backbone of the tune um we talked about 
you know, the use of backing vocals and stuff like that. Um, yeah, just just really, really more competently formed, I think, musically than than most of the stuff on the last album, um, and maybe this album. Um, so it's long, but a good choice for a single, I think. Yeah, a good choice for a single and a lasting choice for a single. It's it's still one of his most prolific live performances. Um, still yeah. one of the the highlights of compilations and you know doing doing research on this listening to it a bunch reading what people have said about it it's it's oftentimes the song that gets people into nick cave if they start from the start this is the one that really hits and and people come back to and so like i said if you haven't been listening to it fucking go turn this up go turn this up and and <laughs> pop it on and, and just listen through uh oh it's it's quite the intro yeah um you know, initially there's some kind of sparse drum hits um, with an undercurrent of like Blixa guitar noise, um, but the song really fills out in ways they haven't done before. Um, some bluesy kind of guitar joins in, which I suspect is probably Mick, but I'm not sure. You know, we've got some some actual toms, thunderous kind of drumming as we go. You know, we say it kind of to death, especially during that first album, but I think the cohesion here between Nick's um, not just performance but lyrics and storytelling in the band as a whole is is maybe at its maybe at its peak um, in these first couple albums. Yeah, no, and especially in this song, like at the start, you can't help but just feel like something terrifying is is coming at you, and um, that bass line just throughout it's the water it's the blood it's the mud it's it's everything horrible about this and it it carries it it throughout um just as much as the lyrics do it is it is actually i think the front player in the story that they're telling here yeah that's a great point yeah so just wrapping this this kind of discussion up for now um we're going to kind of hold off on our our feelings on the album um i think until the wrap up and that might be something we continue with um not to so as not to flavor uh our opinions going through um though they might be kind of obvious as we talk about the songs but i did want to kind of get uh, a sense of where you're at with this song yeah i love it um as as a homage to the bill paxton helen hunt film twister it is beyond reproach i think that this is probably it's amazing to me that it wasn't on the soundtrack but um, this is my I close my eyes and I just see <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's sleazeball character just chilling. And you know when the when the cocks and the the horses, I just see that cow flying by the car. <laughs> it's so raw, it's so there. No, th- this song, um, it's still one of my favorites. This is one of, and I'll say this again for a couple. It's there are perennial, not perennial. Um, there are immortal nick cave songs that uh, i feel like have always been and it's a weird thing to say but it's, it's a song that when you listen to it and i hear it i feel like i'm gonna get really artsy fartsy here really philosophical but it feels like he's drawing it from somewhere else that he didn't actually write it it's it's something that he is simply putting out that has always existed um this is probably one of the lesser ones on that list but at the same time, it's too classic to deny. If I had heard this on the album when it came out, I'd, my mind would have just fucking evaporated. Um, it's, God, it's hard to place it, but I love this song. That We'll leave it at that. I can't, I can't necessarily put into words right now how much, how much I like this song, but having seen it live so many times and, you know, having, when it comes on, there's just this feeling in me, this, this, terror and this joy and everything when i hear that bass line um this is this is one of the one of the best things he's ever done yeah i i agree i i think of the classics like if we're looking at you know his most most notable most famous works um you know i don't want to go through all of them or or give spoilers about how we feel but like this is probably my favorite of his essential works um really it's not my favorite song, but compared to a Mercy Seat or a Red Right Hand, uh, this one is is the top for me, I think. Right on. Yeah, and and, and again, you know, I, I came to it late. I didn't really like this one at first, but 
there's just so much to it the vocal performance is amazing the lyrics are really good if not overly wordy um but yeah it just it's it really hits the spot for me and uh i would say this is my favorite song we've talked about for sure yeah um, pretty easily i will agree with you there but uh hearing some of the other opinions we might have a divergence coming up so we'll see i won't mm. i'll give away too much but um yeah stay tuned for that yeah exciting stuff coming down the road and that's tupelo um excited to talk about this album uh excited to just talk about a, a different album yeah yeah we're we're digging into the rest of the rest of the history and you know the first album i think stands alone and uh firstborn is dead really starts to focus on what the bad seeds are and from there they go a lot of different directions but um you know i'm very excited as well to now be in this next phase we we made it we made it to album two congratulations andrew we did it we did congrats it. and god thank you so much for everyone listening really really appreciate it um we've gotten some really cool feedback we've gotten some really cool emails um really cool twitter mentions um really appreciate everyone that's been that's been contributing this is a discussion we love to hear from you all the different stories and um andrew if you'll allow me i actually wanted to share an email we got um from somebody listening in in england the wings off flies episode uh when we mentioned that uh the yorkshire ripper had a credit on the album contributing to the lyrics uh dan who is actually a musician himself uh wrote in and and offered up an interview with mick harvey back in the 80s that explained exactly what that was about and so Sutcliffe, i know it's it's this is the sort of thing i love to find and so Sutcliffe is actually a friend, um, Pierre, from Melbourne, and um, he was in a group who had a song called Wings Off Flies. That lyric is never actually in uh, the song Wings Off Flies by Pierre, but um, it was used by Nick as, you know, the, the main refrain in Wings Off Flies and the title of the song, and so they credited him on it. And he used his nom de plume of uh, Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. <laughs> well, that certainly explains why uh, the Yorkshire Ripper was involved in some way, uh, because <laughs> he wasn't. Um, he wasn't, exactly. That's, okay, A, though, excellent, excellent nom de plume. Um, <laughs> B, you're right, that's exactly the kind of stuff we like to be illuminated on, and we really, really appreciate Dan's email. That was amazing. Yeah. I mean, holy crap. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And actually, I want to share a little bit more here um, because Dan has an actual connection to the Yorkshire Ripper through through a bandmate of his. And so <laughs> um, one of his friends, Simon, um, who is in a different band, the Ceramic Hobbs, noise core band in England, um, actually <laughs> wrote to the Yorkshire Ripper in the early 2000s. And asked him to do uh, album art for him, which he did. And it is, <laughs> <laughs> he did it under a pseudonym to avoid being credited as the Orch Ripper, it seems. Uh, <laughs> so I was, I was absolutely cracking up at that. So again, thank you so much, Dan, for writing in, dashing our hopes of the Orch Ripper being part of the Nick Cave discography, but then, you know, replacing it immediately with an actual connection. In the best way possible. In the best way possible. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much, Dan. Um, and hope to hear from more of you, please. You hear something on here, um, write in. Write in. Tell us we're full of shit. Illuminate us. Give us some, give us some, you know, ancient interview from the from the 1980s that tells us that, you know, we are full of shit. But, Andrew, what are we listening to next time? Switching it up. I know. Next time, we will be listening to... Say goodbye to the little girl tree. The second track on the first born is dead. That's right. Sean. <laughs> go for it. That's right. So those of you who haven't listened to it, um, go and say hello to the little girl tree and uh, get caught up. Like I said, listen to Tupelo. We we don't do it justice when we're just reading the lyrics. You know, we'll dive in. You might. If have... you're not listening to these songs before we talk about them, <laughs> and you haven't heard them more than like. 10 times what the fuck what the fuck what are you, are you doing why are you doing that to us get with the program <laughs>
Sean, where can they find us? That's right. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at Today's Lesson Pod. You can email us directly, todayslessonpod at gmail.com. You can always throw us a few coins at patreon.com slash today's lesson. And as always, wherever you're listening to podcasts, please, 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 please rate and review. But five stars only. If you're kind of tepid, fuck off. We get uh, five stars. Thanks. One, two, three, four, five. Anything less is an affront, and we will not take kindly to that. Not that we can do anything about it. Until next time, we love we <laughs> I can't, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Can't just start it like that. We gotta say it at the same time. Okay. Sorry. We We love Nick, Nick Cave and 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 the bads and the bad the seeds. Bad seeds. I think we I think dot com. <laughs> I think we got it. I think we nailed it. Yeah. If that isn't worth at least three and a half stars on its own. What are we what are we doing? What are we... Bye. Bye.